0: Hey, listeners, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Bueno. I'm a psychotherapist in Chicago, and I love having amazing conversations with friends that I know and friends that I don't know about the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. And this has been an interesting month, right? We've talked about voting and Trump. I've pretty much told you I've laid my soul bare to you. All of my deepest, darkest healing, and today I am sharing an episode that is a conversation with a dear Narm friend of mine, so we're kind of going to get back to the the usual way that we hang in this podcast, but Cassie brings, I think, something that's so important for right now. And you'll hear why when we have our conversation. But before we get to that, just wanted to note a couple things I haven't talked about in a minute that if you want to connect with me, the best way to do so is on Instagram. And you can find me at Therapy. Post funny memes, poignant memes, things that are interesting, stuff about healing, stuff about anti-racism all the things. So please join me there if you like. If you're a fan of this podcast, uh, I would definitely encourage you to go to Patreon. If you don't know what it is, it's a place where you can go support people who make things or are things. And Conversations with a Wounded Healer is not cheap. And so we appreciate any donation. It can be even as little as a dollar a month, which would warm my heart and soul. And I appreciate your support so much. And P.S., you can also support Cassie there too, which will make Make sure to put that information in the show notes. But without further ado, let me get to my friend Cassie. Cassandra Walker is a black queer activist, entrepreneur, and NARM master therapist in training located in Chicago, Illinois. They are also a tabletop role-playing nerd and general strange human. And that is truly one of the things I love most about them. <laughs> so please enjoy this wonderful conversation with my friend Cassie Walker. Cassie, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Hey, Sarah.
1: Nice to be here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I would ask how you are, but I know there's a little tenderness happening today. So,
1: yeah. Honestly, I'll go ahead and share because September is, I don't know if this will come out in September, but September is Suicide Awareness Month. So, Yeah. yeah. Let's go ahead and talk about it. Yeah. So, a couple hours before... Or an hour and a half before we are recording this. It's what is it? It's September 5th. I found out that one of my former clients from a former employer killed himself earlier, I believe earlier this week. So Mm -hmm. there is some tenderness here just because of. The memories you get to know people, especially Mm -hmm. in positions at like community mental health centers where you're driving people around, you're in their homes, you're grocery shopping, you're teaching them to cook, you're moving them out of nursing homes and you're doing all of these really intimate sort of things. Those people really do become a part of your life. And so even though it's been a couple of years since I've been there, the news is still, it still lands, it still hits. So that's kind of coming into this, what's going on for me. So anyone who has been touched by suicide, whether it's personally or professionally, or whether you're thinking about it, just know that there are people here for you. And if you're worried about someone in your life, don't put the onus on them to reach out, reach out to them if you can.
0: Yeah. And I really appreciate you bringing this into the space, too, because one of the pieces of feedback that I get often from listeners who are either in school to be therapists or are young therapists is the model of vulnerability that we have on here. And losing clients is something that will happen to every therapist. Absolutely. No question. And the humanness of how we deal with it, I think, is really important to share and be honest about.
1: Yeah. I think it's one of those things where like, and I'm sure we'll get into it in the podcast because it's part of my journey, but where I feel like we really fail people in programs is like, we're so focused on trying to prevent death that we forget to help people be okay with death.
0: Right. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's a whole thing we could totally dig into. (laughs) I know. We're going to need like 12 hours, but we'll just do it again sometime. It's fine. It'll be a series. There we go. (laughs) The Cassie series. I love it. So we know each other from NARM and listeners have heard me talk about NARM ad nauseum, but Cassie and I are now officially NARM therapists. Woo! Woo! (laughs) (laughs) But you are way more than just a NARM therapist. So would you like to tell folks more about who you are and what you do?
1: Yes. So I go by Cassie in most spaces, full name's Cassandra, which is actually the name you'll probably find me by online because legal things, they use your full name, Um, (laughs) which is okay. The reason I started going by Cassie is because people always say Cassandra. Yeah. And at a point in my life where I was less in control of myself, that made Mm. me want to do a murder. (laughs) 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 I support you. <laughs> so, um, yes, I'm Cassie. I am wildly <laughs> easy to get off on tangents. I am a <laughs> licensed clinical social worker working in Illinois, specifically Chicago. I just opened my practice, which is Intersection Center for Complex Healing. Right now it's all online. What? Because what? COVID. Mm-hmm. So, I specialize, my specialties can be summed up in the intersection of identity, trauma, and mental wellness. And so I am a deeply bizarre person in a very positive way because I take pride in owning all my all my intersections and all my weirdnesses and so yeah I do some training I do some speaking I do some educating in other communities specifically in the BDSM community and I go by a different name there so <laughs> <laughs>
0: For mm-hmm. obvious
1: reasons.
0: Obvi. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And I'm really interested because I actually I know snippets of your history from conversations that we've had and things that you shared in the Narm training, but I don't really know a lot about like little Cassandra and how they became who they are today. So wherever you want to start of what made you become a therapist and oh wow all of it.
1: Yeah. So I will say out of even though I am partially estranged from the family that I grew up with. I won't go into a ton of detail about that out of respect because they're still alive and they might still hear this. So yeah, growing up was weird. There was a lot of upheaval and verbal emotional aggression, abuses and things like that happened. And I'm adopted. And so like from a really young age, like there wasn't a lot of attachment there wasn't a lot of attachment to like family. There wasn't a lot of attachment to like the idea of being alive. So, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. it was one of those things where I got really interested in humans because I didn't understand. And I first thought I <laughs> so my descent into the rabbit hole of psychology was I got really interested in like the really extreme end of things. So like serial killers and things. And so at first- I could
0: totally see you being like a forensic psychologist or something.
1: That was legitimately- (laughs) No, there are. (laughs) So there's a bookshelf behind me. I have- so many of those books. I've got Snake oh, well. Suits and I've got My Life Among the Serial Killers. And I have all of these books because I ate them up because at first I thought I wanted to be like a lawyer and then I thought I wanted to be like a federal agent, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you find hilarious, me working for the government.
0: Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, that
1: wouldn't have lasted long. No. Well, because at one point, I thought I wanted to go into the military and, like, go to West Point and be, like, legit a G-man. Wow. At one point in my life, wanted to be a G-man. I wanted to be, like, FBI, CIA, military, like, West Point graduate and all of these things. And for anyone that knows me now, that is that is wildly not who I am. <laughs> <laughs> But that was what I originally thought I wanted to do, and so I went to U Chicago thinking I, I knew I wanted to do something with psychology, and that I ended up double majoring because. U Chicago no longer, their psychology department has a decades old beef with the psychiatry department at the med school. And so, like, does not teach eyes. abnormal. <laughs> U Chicago, at least when I was mm-hmm. there, does not teach abnormal psychology or like mental health in their psychology major because of a random decades old beef, which is really weird. So, you have to double major in psychology and comparative human development. Um, okay. in order to get that <laughs> education, which is really weird because you Chicago is the home of so many influential, like Carl mm-hmm. Rogers and like so many psychologists and psychotherapists and psychiatrists and people that like for better and for worse have shaped this field and their psychology major in the college doesn't teach it.
0: <laughs> All right.
1: So that was weird. I thought I was going to be a researcher then. I thought I was going to go a PhD route. Academia and I also don't get along. I'm a Black, queer, non-binary person, and academia is toxic as hell in a lot of ways that I personally found to be really difficult. And so my first observable, at least, I won't say the very first, but the first like mental health episode, psychotic break that I had that actually sent me looking for help was an undergrad. And so Mm. from that point, I definitely started moving further and further away from the like social cognitive psych side of things into the more of the like, okay, but like, wait a second. Why am I hearing voices? Wait, Mm. how do we deal with this? I don't want meds. Is there a way to do this without meds? Which is something I think a lot of people who have the classification of serious mental illness or like chronic mental illness can vibe with, especially black folks, if like, but I don't want meds. And then I did do research for a while, including in like psychiatry labs on medicine and things. And so, like I was like, mm, don't want meds. I have seen behind the curtain.
0: Yeah. Right. And
1: these aren't for me. And I'm like really hypersensitive to medication to the point where like Benadryl mm-hmm. knocks me out. Same. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm so sensitive. It's ridiculous. When I had my first episode, they gave me like this isn't the correct use of this term, but they gave me basically a microdose of like Seroquel and it mm. flattened me.
0: Mm. It was mm-hmm. ridiculous.
1: Cause at first I thought it was just you, Chicago. And I was like, okay. So. Maybe it's because it's not the right kind of research. Maybe it's because it's not psychiatry, because it's not mental health. Maybe that's the problem because I was doing developmental and social psych research at that point. So, kids and biases. And then I went and did some work at Northwestern, realized, like, nope, it's the academia. So, then I was like, the thing I liked most about the research I did at Northwestern was that connection with. The subjects that were coming in. And I was like, okay, so I like aspects of research, but I am not finding balance here. I am not finding a way for me to be able to be well myself in these academic settings. So maybe instead of applying for a PhD again, Let's try something else. Because people had suggested like, hey, if you like the direct service thing, why don't you try a direct service job? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, hadn't thought of that. I didn't know about this. Well, I knew a little bit about it. But like, unless you're really interested in the field, young, like you don't realize the scope, just the broadness Mm -hmm. fully until you're in it. And so then I started working at a community mental health center here in Chicago on the west side. Screw it. I'm going to shout out Association House. They do good work. And I loved so many things about it. Building those connections, like I was talking about with the client that just died, building those connections and being in people's lives and seeing them progress and like being a part of that was amazing. And I still struggled with my own balance, but that was also the first place that like introduced me to the idea of being a peer specialist and Hmm. utilizing my journey to help others as well. And also being able to be open with my jobs Mm
0: -hmm.
1: about the fact that like, hey, I may struggle sometimes. And so I got my certified recovery support specialist credential, which in Illinois is the credential for peer specialists. Illinois Certification is really good. It's actually internationally recognized because it's pretty legit. It's pretty stringent, and so like, I got that and held that for a long time. I just gave it up this year. It will officially expire in October, but I held that for a while. Had several jobs there, and then hit the brick wall of a bachelor's, and was like, "Well, I don't want a doctorate anymore." But I can do all the things I want to do with a master's in social work. And I went to UIC, got my master's in social work.
0: That's where my husband went. Yeah.
1: Right now, their students are fighting them because of COVID things. And I really, anyone who wants to help the students out should probably do that. Honestly, Mm -hmm. if you know students that are in social work schools right now, like check on them, please. Yeah, a lot of the administrations and a lot of the licensing agencies aren't making the amount of accommodations that they should right now. Yeah, but I was also one of those people who would fight with my professors and things like. They would teach just death and dying and like grief as like something that would touch everybody, but then in school, right, they teach everything else as like us versus them, which rubbed me the wrong way because I was already a CRSS. I was already
0: like, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Hey, so I need to be excused from this activity where we watch videos that simulate hearing voices because, like, Mm. I already have this experience and this could trigger me Mm -hmm. because they don't, like, we don't do that. We don't acknowledge that, like, the very people we're teaching to treat these things are likely to have them. Or have Mm -hmm. been touched by them.
0: That's why we fucking go into it. Right? Whenever I say in my classes, like, y'all should be in therapy, the one student who will, like, look at me like, are you crazy? I'm like, I wish I could fail you. That's that's
1: (laughs) the one you have to worry about. This is going to sound harsh, and I've gotten blowback from people about this. But, like, seriously, any therapist that refuses to go to therapy, don't trust them. Just yeah,
0: run. that's, a, that's just literally run. what I say, too. Right. <laughs> and, and interview your therapist and ask them. Yeah, do you go to therapy. What do you do for your support? Like, ask them.
1: Absolutely. And if your therapist won't answer those questions, like also just run like we have. Yeah. to. I got an argument with people on a group this week and I'm just like, no, normalize firing your therapist if they're not giving you what you need. Fire mm-hmm. them. And like, that's part of why I went through all these things. And I'm just like, I want to be the person I wish I had.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I do too as a business owner and as a therapist. Yeah, Yeah.
1: that's why I'm here, right? Is because, I mean, like recently, thank God there are so many more people coming out of school and coming into the field. But like 10 years ago, good luck finding a Black queer affirming kink Sex aware positive. therapist non-christian who, <laughs> non-christian who mm-hmm. knows what asexuality mm-hmm. is and, and doesn't think that it's trauma right like yeah
0: <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. and so
1: i wanted to be that person and hopefully i am that person now for the people on mm-hmm. my kinks load
0: yeah it's funny how many intersections that i have with you there couple things i wanted to ask you about just your experience. So, so one of the things that we're going to geek out on arm guys, I'm sure Oh yeah. if you're still listening, I'm guessing you don't give a shit that I talk about it all the time. But one of the things that's been so transformative and awful at the same time for me is like, I always knew my childhood was bad. Like I didn't, the word family has always been like the F word to me. And that's been consistent, right? So like I have this anger towards my family. Like I knew it was fucked up. I didn't quite know how fucked up it was, though some of my symptoms should have given me information about that. But the thing that I am still struggling with cognitively is understanding the attachment piece of like, we will protect the attachment relationship at all costs. Like I understand it from a heart space, but I don't understand it from a headspace. Like, I'm I'm curious your experience with that in your own NARM sessions, how you've worked with that, what you do with it cognitively.
1: Yeah. So I think for me, I have a little bit of a different relationship with that because my go-to is anger. Like, mm-hmm. the Black rage is strong within me. <laughs>
0: It is strong. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with that. Um, I mean, I guess there could be, but.
1: Yeah. But like that kind of a violent rejection
0: mm-hmm. of
1: injustice and things that are wrong with me. Like I was insulted the first time a friend said this, but now like I'm playing a paladin and I realize how true it is. But like my friend called me a paladin for the first time like a year ago. What is that? Oh, so I'm also a nerd. So this is a D&D reference. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay.
0: I knew it sounded familiar, but I didn't. Okay.
1: And So Go basically on. paladins are essentially a form of a, like a holy warrior. And so they tend, mm. not, not always, but they tend to be in the realm of like good, even if they're not mm-hmm. lawful. And mm. I am very much that person who like, I will try to follow the rules until they are absurd and I think they're doing more harm Mm -hmm. than good. And also, I will be vehemently attached (laughs) to the whatever kind of ethical, moral compass that I follow Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. have a righteous fury behind it.
0: And so (laughs) I... Righteous fury would be a good uh, dominatrix name. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um. But like, I don't know if that's the right term for non-binary, though. Is there? Is that a feminine term? Just dom works. I mean, either Thank way. Thank you. And
1: so, like, for me, that piece is like, I have cognitively known for a very long time that stuff is really messed up, and that I am trying to hold on to something that will likely never yield mm-hmm. me what I need.
0: And can I ask about that in terms of hold on, like essentially trying to elicit the the love yeah. from okay yeah.
1: And so like I get it. It's that idea of cognitively I know and emotionally I am still grasping at those straws. Mm-hmm. I am still absolutely trying to keep that house of cards up
0: mm-hmm. because it's
1: like, but look, look at my Ivy plus degree from you Chicago look at my master's degree look at my business look at my yeah, blank yeah. right because emotionally it's like but just love me right like right. love me in a way that is authentic and toxic and based on who I am versus right. who you want me to be right and so yeah I think mine's a little reversed.
0: Yeah. I mean, I relate to that 100% too. It's in in NARM, last week, we talked so much about the objectification and like the narcissistic parent. And what was so important for me to hear, it's funny, I was telling my therapist, I was like, none of that information felt new. It felt like, duh, to me because it was so, it rang so true. But so I guess I just want to tell listeners like, In terms of a narcissistic parent, it's not necessarily like, oh, narcissistic personality disorder like Donald Trump or somebody flagrant like that. But narcissism in that you can't see somebody as subjective as their own person. You can't see your child that way. You only see them as an object or an extension of self.
1: Yeah. And I think that's one thing that like when I see and when we talk about parents who reject their queer kids oh my God, like I was thinking about that so much last weekend during masterclass because I was just like, this is the quintessential thing behind the rejection of children, specifically queer and trans kids, right? Of Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. well, but you're supposed to be a little me. Right. Why aren't you working, right? It's like, because we treat kids like little automatons and when they don't work... Quote unquote, then there's all of this backlash of like, but you were supposed to be a doctor, or whether it's, right. but you were supposed to be a boy. Yeah. And I think that's massive. And just this mm-hmm. idea, too, because America real sick, everybody.
0: Murka roll sick. And, yep. right. And this
1: idea, like, I finally got a book of Odus, which is the basically Ifa holy text. Ifa is a West African traditional religion, but like there's one that refers to like the work that a child does is important. And the work that a child asks an elder to do is important. Oh. And an elder Ooh. should not decline a child because we have to work together from the smallest Ooh. to the
0: biggest. That is. Gives me chills.
1: Yeah, I'm obviously misquoting it. Like I could, the book's right there, but I would have to find (laughs) it again and I don't remember the number. But I was reading that and Mm. it's so different than what we do here of like people are constantly turning down kids, right? And not for safety things, right? Like safety things are different. But even just like, hey, could you do this for me? I can't reach. I can't get to this. And so I think that that is really important in how we think about and how I think about even like therapy and healing Mm -hmm. and things, right? Because like so much of what is wounded is childhood, is the stuff that we get buried underneath because it hurts so much. And so like as a therapist, being willing to help people say yes, and to help that child with that task, mm-hmm. because we also need that child for ourselves. Mm-hmm. The Odu says that an elder's hand is too big to reach into the gourd, the same way a child is too small to reach the top shelf. Oh. Right, and so like we need yeah. both. And I, I'm not even properly initiated yet, but like I read that too internally in our internal world too of like we need our inner child like we yeah we need that right. fun and that life and that curiosity and so much of our society is so hell-bent on destroying it and it's so sad and so depressing
0: well As you were talking about this marriage of youth helping elders and all of that and how parents don't necessarily do that. I also want to just not blame the parents, but this is the culture that we've created. There is not time, right? There's not time. Even the best parents today are going to fail their children because they have to work in this
1: capitalist society, you know? I mean, we're backsliding, right? Like unions are losing purchase. Like we're backsliding into 50, 60, 70 hour weeks, work weeks. And if you don't do it, then you lose your job. And I just read a article today where 52% of young adults are living with their parents. It's the highest percentage since the Great Depression. And U.S. media puts that as a bad thing. Is it so bad that we're starting to hopefully maybe be more connected to each other? Like maybe we can have communities again. Like there's part of me that sees potential in that reconnection, but then also my Areas are pretty specifically like my passion. Population is Black queer people, right? Who talk about getting it from every angle unemployment, underemployment, low pay, homelessness, community and family rejection, higher chance of murder, higher chance of being victims of violence, all of these things, right? And it's like, okay, but like if you can't afford to heal because healing ends up being a luxury in our society, then how are we supposed to build healthy communities? How are we supposed to be able, I mean, like, how are we supposed to be able to live with our parents and the generation divide in mental health and wellness, right? Of like,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you
1: know, I have some folks who I see who do live in intergenerational homes and they're doing mm-hmm. their work and we're doing all this norm work and they're going mm-hmm. through this disidentification process and all of these things. And then they're like. Now I know. Yeah. Now I see it. Yeah. What do I do?
0: Yeah. Holy fuck. Once you see it. <laughs> mm-hmm. and,
1: and and like that too in its own right is more process and more disidentification and like letting mm-hmm. go and like being able to get things from yourself. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like at first, like it's scary. I remember yep. going home from college. And the more I healed, the harder it was. Yes. And the more adamantly Mm -hmm. there is the refusal to entertain the idea that healing is possible.
0: Right.
1: That I can't do it. I mean, that's part Mm -hmm. of why I'm partially estranged from them again. I had fully cut them off at one point before my little brother died. And then I let them back in after his death. But Mm. it's just that that refusal. It's like, but if you're not going to work on this, you're going to repeat what you did. Right. And I can't do that. And that's my agency, right? Like that's part of that healing work. And part of what Mm -hmm. I talk to a lot of my clients about is like, you can't drag someone into healing and you can heal and you can be that person and you can practice these things and live authentically. And that's into Psychotherapy talks about it, which is an Afrocentric psychotherapy, talks about therapy as partly, and Narm does this too, as partly a spiritual process wherein Mm -hmm, the therapist mm -hmm. also needs to be right, at least mostly right, have done Mm. some work in their Mm -hmm. path in all realms of wellness so that they can live and exude because part of that relational piece is just the vibes. It's just the vibes. It's the rapport. Yep, yep. And if you're not able to acknowledge the idea of authenticity and what that means, and that, yep. that means not that the world is better, but that instead of being battered around by the waves of life that you're able to, instead of just reacting, you're able to respond and actually steer that ship in the way that works for you that that's what authenticity is
0: it's from a quiet space right that's what i've learned in narm that because we talk about the two sides of the coin right you can you can be reactive in a like yeah. Okay. I'm just gonna, you know, cut this person off, and that's part of the same binary. Mm-hmm. But the quiet, authentic soul space that comes out of doing the work is what it's all about.
1: That's the delineation between react versus respond, because it's right. not the behavior, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's why I'm not a behavioralist.
0: Yep. It's not the behavior. Fuck CBT. <laughs> <laughs> it's my podcast, so I can say that. Yep.
1: But right, because it's not the behavior. It's where the behavior is coming from, Mm -hmm. right? Mm
0: -hmm. Like
1: if I eat dinner and I eat an entire porterhouse, if I'm doing it because I'm hungry and I just got back to the store and I didn't eat because I didn't have food before and the porterhouse was on sale and I'm eating basically two meals, that's one thing. If I'm eating it because it's there and I'm depressed and I need comfort and I'm trying to find it in this giant porterhouse. house. Like that is, <laughs> that is a very different thing. Mm-hmm. Same behavior. That's that reaction versus response, mm-hmm. at least in this space, the way I'm talking about it.
0: I like the steak metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Let's shift into the healer talk because you've you've already brought in some spiritual elements, which I fucking love. And I'm curious if you consider yourself a healer.
1: Yes and no. I think it depends. And I've, of course, heard other people answer this question. And so like I'm going down that route of like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it depends what you mean by healer, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I'm not a healer in the like, I'm going to fix all your problems and I'm going to do it for you and it's going to be great. Mm -hmm. And I'm this like savior, healer figure, but I am in the realm and in the business literally now of assisting healing work. Mm -hmm. And so that is the energy I embody. That is the energy that I hope to have and exude and put forth is a healer's energy. So... Yeah, because the, I mean, like, the hope is that, like, person by person, like, we start to heal our fucked up society. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I'm also a healer in the, like, hopeful sense of hopefully we'll have more healers than war makers at some point.
0: And as you were saying that, talking about the way that we define the word healer, I was also thinking about how our clients objectify us by thinking that the term healer means that we are doing it for them or to them. Because I've had that happen a lot recently, especially with my transition into NARM because NARM is so self-centered in that we are assisting the clients and really changing their relationship with themselves. And I've had some clients really push back on it because I feel like they can't tolerate me not having the answers.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing though, is that like, Not having the answers is heavily punished in our society. We're expected to know. And then there's also the childhood part of like, who was I talking to about this the other day? I can't remember if it was a client or a friend, but I was talking to someone yesterday about this idea of not knowing and how much pressure not only do we put on ourselves, but society puts on us, especially as we get older, to know everything immediately, all at once. Because when, I mean, like when we think about it, when we're little, like adults are God beings. Yep. They give us food, they give us shelter, they dress us, they, you know, clean Mm -hmm. us, they do all these things and they seem like they have all the answers and they know everything. And then the scariest thing ever is like when we grow up and we look around and this happens for some people sooner than others, unfortunately, you grow up and something starts to clue you in, if you're really lucky, it's just age. If you're not, it's trauma. Mm -hmm. To the fact that like, nobody knows shit. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: it's terrifying. And so a lot of times, especially if we're in our trauma and in our survival styles, then I feel like we go through the world looking and desperately grasping for people to know things. And whether that person is us, or whether that is other people or more likely a combination of both, then we're just constantly trying to find ways to know because we never got uncomfortable with not knowing. And we're constantly like in this mind space of like, but I'm a kid and I need you to know. Mm
0: -hmm, Or mm -hmm. you're
1: supposed to be like, I'm supposed to be an adult. I have to know. And so when clients come in, being vulnerable and trying to figure out what's wrong one they've been told something's wrong Mm
0: -hmm. two they've Mm -hmm. been
1: told that this is like a doctor and so you go in to fix it or get rid of it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so there's this heavily paternalistic heavily pathologized view culturally that most people are coming in with and so then we're like yeah no I don't know and they're like, what? I, I don't know either. <laughs> so let's figure this out together. And depending on where people are at, some people are like, oh, okay. And other mm-hmm, people are mm-hmm. like, you're a terrible therapist. What do you mean yeah. you don't know? But, uh, what am I paying you for? This is right. expensive. What am I paying you for? And it's part of that cycle. It's part of that fear. It's part of that. But if I don't know, I'm not safe.
0: And none of us are safe, but- That'll be for part two of the series. Yeah.
1: Oh God! Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like, and this is the thing, though, right? It's like at some point. So yesterday, one of my friends and kind of comet partners, which is basically in non-monogamy and like polyam, a comet is somebody who you're really close when they're around, but when they're not, you're like not necessarily together. So, like, he's at this point become a comet, mostly but like he's black also and he got pulled over yesterday mm. and so he started a facebook live stream because he's up in wisconsin right now <sighs> and for those who don't know yeah kenosha not great we're mm-hmm. not going to go into it but yeah and so he's up in wisconsin right now and so he started a facebook live stream and so i'm sitting there and i'm watching his traffic.
0: Holding your breath,
1: holding my breath, waiting to Mm. see if my friend is about to be murdered by a cop because on Facebook, on Facebook Live. And I think that one thing Mm. that I really uh, is is hard and also interesting to see is just the acceptance of like a different view of Mm -hmm. safety in Mm -hmm. my Clients of color, particularly my Black clients versus my white clients, because, you know, I had talked with a client after George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey, we were in the session. And it hit me because this client was talking about like the phrase be safe as a parting instead yeah. of saying goodbye we say be safe yeah and yeah. it hit me so hard mm. because i didn't realize it was heavily a black thing and i asked my partner that i live with about growing up how did you say goodbye and mm-hmm. like when did you use the term be safe
0: mm. and are th- are they a person of color no my
1: partner i live with is white
0: and mm. which is why i
1: asked her and there's a very stark difference because the term like, be safe, call me when you get there. Like, this has been my experience too, especially since living in Chicago since college is like, I don't care if you're going two doors down, text me when you get there. Let me know you got there safe, be safe. Versus like, you know, she was talking about, yeah, if we're going on a long trip, but like, otherwise, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, if it's just down the street, why would you need to?
0: And I'm like, "Oh, Hmm. oh, Well, it's just like when when my husband had the first realization that I can't walk to the L, I can't take the L at a certain time at night. Like, it literally had never occurred to him that I can't just walk around and do everything. Like, white people haven't thought about it until now that we're finally seeing, like, the slew of murders and everybody's paying attention. Like, we haven't thought about it. Yeah.
1: And, like, we didn't have Facebook Live before, but it's just, like, so like, this idea of safety and, like, what does it mean to heal? When the standard definition of safety is inaccessible, what does it mean to heal? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Because it's just, like, everything was fine. It was a warning. Like, he was on the way to a medical thing, and, and like, the cop could see that he was injured. And so it was, Mm. it ended up being okay. Mm.
0: Glad for that.
1: But, which, yeah. But, like, oh, my God. Afterwards, once I knew he was okay, like, I thought I was going to throw up yeah and so just that idea of like because this is going to get in i know what your next question is so i'm gonna i'm gonna steal your thunder but like <laughs> the steal it <laughs> the idea of like wounded right yeah. it's like yeah yes and because
0: <laughs> <laughs> i wish you could have seen their face just then that was the best face oh my god um, <laughs> because
1: because that's the thing right it's like regardless of race i don't know how you can live in this world and not be wounded like yeah. i am not a fan of the orange but like to be that horrible you know you have to have some massive wounding and so it's just like
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: no i am i am absolutely wounded like i mean yesterday like that felt like someone punched a hole in my heart yeah. and i think too and i know we've briefly touched on this and i know we don't have a ton of time but just this idea I've started coming into this, this idea and this belief that like post-traumatic growth is a privilege and that we need some way to detail and describe without Mm -hmm. glorifying or idealizing this idea of growth while still experiencing trauma.
0: That is a pull quote, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) and all the spectrums in between.
1: (laughs) Because it's just like, okay, so if we talk about wounds, all right, so I just left a terrible job that we have talked about. (laughs) And it's like, okay, so at this job, you've got the owner and higher ups that are constantly and possibly purposefully misgendering me in emails, even though my pronouns are in my signature. You've got the company that wants to utilize Black voices, but then refuses to allow the Black therapist's space outside of the white gaze to mm-hmm. consult and heal following George Floyd and the abuses of the police in downtown Chicago after that and the kettling. And you've got clients and out occasionally Okay. So that's, that's some, that's, that's like workplace wounding. Cool. Mm -hmm. I'm also a black person in this country. So we'll just Mm -hmm. chalk that up to about another thousand. And then we've got that. I identify as non-binary and use they, them pronouns. And my voice is very feminine and so I can't make a phone call without getting ma'am. And even before mm-hmm, I came mm-hmm. out, like, I just, like, I get it. I have Southern family and everything. But, like, can we normalize getting can we rid stop of ma'am? Right. Can we get yes. rid of it? Can we just chuck I it out it. the window? Like, miss. Because it also feels
0: ageist yeah, to me.
1: like, miss. Doesn't bother me nearly as just ma'am because ma'am is one of those things, and we're off on a tangent, but it's fine because ma'am is one of those things where, like, you can't always tell if they're putting stank on it. Cassie Walker, do not ma'am me. (laughs) Exactly. No, I've (laughs) literally, like, I've, I I try so hard because I've worked customer service. I try so hard, but Mm -hmm. oh my God, there have been days, especially days when I'm feeling dysphoric. Where, Mm. like, if I am on the phone with an insurance company and every other word out of their mouth is Mm ma'am, I mm -hmm. occasionally have to, for my own sanity, just Mm -hmm. straight up, do not call me ma'am anymore. Yeah. But, yeah, no. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, these are all things that we agree are wounds. So, like, yeah, of course I'm wounded. I'm alive.
0: (laughs) Yep. Yep. Well... We are coming to the end of the hour. And I want to make sure that because you, you are podcasting yourself, you are blogging, you're doing all the things. So where can people learn more about you and get into your work?
1: Absolutely. So in theory, I am podcasting. In practice, I am living in COVID America and really struggling mm-hmm. with my recording schedule and also starting mm-hmm. a new business. So um, <laughs> Woke Mental Wellness is my podcast. All the episodes are on YouTube. I'm working to get the newer episodes and possibly some back episodes up on other podcasting platforms and services. Hopefully we'll have a more regular schedule now that I am out of oppressive, uh, oppressive <laughs> abusive work environments and on my own. So yeah, Welcome to Wellness. The website is the letter I-CCH.com for intersections. My email's up there on the website as well. I'm on Intersection Center for Complex Healing on Facebook. I have a Twitter. I have a Patreon for Woke Mental Wellness. So you can find me that way. You can email me if you want me to do a training for you. You can email me as well. But yeah, I'm around and I'm trying to think. I think that's all the ways you can find me. There's a lot of ways to find me.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much. The word that's been coming up for me today with this conversation is tender. And while I absolutely love and adore and, and appreciate the the angry <laughs> the anger, the righteousness that comes out of you, I I also really appreciate this tender side and I really appreciate you sharing it with the listeners. Yeah.
1: And I think it's I just want to say too like those aren't mutually exclusive,
0: mm-hmm. right? And so like exactly
1: just that idea of like mm-hmm. you can be angry and tender
0: thank you so much Cassie for joining me on conversations with a wounded healer to find out more information about Cassie and support their work, you can go to www.headhearttherapy.com podcast. Thanks as always to Andrea Klunder and the Creative Impostor Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye bye.